is good and you are to be commended for being out this morning amen yes lord have mercy amen Uh, yeah you really love the lord amen went outside and my mind was saying praise the lord my body was saying what are you doing go back go back go back Uh, I know some of you felt like having service with Pastor Pillow and Bishop Blanket. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. They were preaching a good sermon this morning. Shabarahaha. You felt the fire of the Holy Spirit right under your covers. Yes, you did. <laughs> but you came out. Uh, well, we want to, uh, let's get into the word. Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. In verses 12 to 17, um, I was going to have you read some scriptures, but we would probably want to move a little bit uh, faster. Amen. Um, it says, write this letter to the angel that is the pastor of the church, of, church in Ephesus. This is the message. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me and each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand, that is, I believe he's saying, your influence from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, uh, just as I do. Verse 12, write this letter to the angel that is the pastor of Pergamum. This is the message. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas my faithful witness was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching that is doctrine is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Balaam taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have the you have some Nicolo, uh, Nicolaitans, help me, Lord, uh, Latins among you, who follow the same teaching that is the same doctrine. Repent of your sin, and I will come to you suddenly and fight against them. With the sword of my mouth, anyone who hears or anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what the spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of them, I'll give some of the manner that has been hidden away in heaven. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to talk to you. Uh, on the subject, death in the nick of time. 
death in a nick of time. And as I shared before last week, I wanted to share with you, when we're going through this book, uh, 30 Days uh, to Understanding the Bible by Max Anders in the last uh, half of this book is about doctrine, and so we're going to be going over this for the remainder of the year, and just really making a argument this morning and last week on why you really want to desire doctrine. You really want to desire teaching. And I said last week, I want to talk to you about how doctrine affects Valentine's Day. Uh, the word Valentine actually comes from a Latin word, Valentia. We have a woman in our church named Valentia, and it means uh, strength. It means capacity. It means effectiveness. It means potent. And so when we're looking at, when we're thinking about the word Valentine's Day, um, and though we know it's a, you know, a heathen holiday, secular holiday, etc. But I, I, I would like to twist that to mean that uh, when you get true love, it helps you to reach your capacity. When you get true love, it helps you to reach your full strength, your full uh, effectiveness, your full potential. And I want to uh, talk to you about how important uh, doctrine is to helping us to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to uh, fulfill. Uh, I, I have the feeling that this sermon is going to be a series of what I will call discussions. I won't necessarily say a series in the sense of Sunday morning, we're going to do a series of sermons, but I think uh, we're going to be revisiting this over the next six months or so periodically, and we'll figure out what context to do that because I am not uh, foolish enough to think that this sermon is going to really address uh, a lot of things that many of us are struggling and fighting with. Uh, some of you think that we, we were at the marriage retreat. We just came back this morning, and and so please forgive me. I'm little, uh, no, I don't know what the word I'll call it. A little hurried because you know, I felt like my mind and spirit was in two places at once and trying to prepare for this morning, but at the retreat at the same time um, doing and you know, ended up doing some ministering because uh, some of you are thinking, well, once I get married, everything is going to be great. And I want to let you know that one of the things that marriage does, it heightens your joys, but it also deepens your wounds. Marriage will be probably your greatest ecstasy and your greatest pain. I just want to warn you right now. Because some of you, uh, you know, you're like, uh, wishing for the land of Oz someday over the way rainbow. And I'm telling you, at the end of that rainbow, you may realize, you know what, let me climb back and get at the beginning of the rainbow. Deep pain. Married couples are going through deep weeping. Deep brokenness. And part of it is because many of you, like many of you, they were looking for hopefully... Um, fulfillment in this entity called marriage and uh, it can be fulfilling but it can be very painful very painful no. and even after 30 well my wife and I would be celebrating 33 years of marriage um, this May 33 years and yet even at the marriage retreat we share some deep wounds deep secrets deep Areas of pain. Uh, you figured after 33 years we would know what we need to know. <laughs> and yet, um, you know, this is kind of the way it is. But the beauty of it is that if you bring those wounds and pains to Jesus, he is, he can heal. He can heal. And so part I want to share with you, those of you who are not married, is what I wish was shared with me. Amen. So, so that you would have a joy. And, and the thing is that, you know, uh, I was thinking, God, what, what, what can I say today? 
that will help us. And um, I want to talk, when I, when I thought about doctrine, what struck me is that the last, the, the word doctrine is mentioned in the Bible somewhere between 50 and 60 times. And the last three times the word doctrine is mentioned, it's mentioned in uh, the book of Revelations, the, the scary book, the spooky book, the one that most of you uh, believe that there's only uh, uh, 65 books in the Bible, and you say, I'm just going to leave that book alone. If I wanted a horror story, I'd watch a movie. Okay, you know, talking about, you know, anyways. <laughs> uh, but it speaks... He talks about false doctrine in the church and how that false doctrine caused people to go in the wrong direction when it came to love. Are you with me so far? He's speaking to two churches. One is Ephesus and one is Pergamos. Uh, Ephesus was considered... uh, the greatest city in one of the greatest cities in the world outside of Rome. It was considered the gateway to Asia. In other words, it was, it was a very wealthy city. It was along uh, probably the major trade route in the world, and it was a gateway to all of Asia. Uh, the city of Ephesus also was the center for the worship of Diana. And Diana was considered the goddess of woman. And there's two things that were very powerful uh, known about Diana, which even has an influence today. Diana uh, was a goddess of woman when it came to childbirth, which is logical. Are you following me? But also, uh, she was the goddess of um, the hunt. She, she was... A picture of her was a woman with a with a bow and an arrow, meaning that she was a she was a strong woman. She was a woman who handled her business. She wasn't some weak, no mealy mouse, milk toast woman. She was a strong woman. She was probably Beyonce. <laughs> now don't leave here and say Bishop called Beyonce a false goddess. No, no, I didn't say that. But I'm talking about a strong woman, a woman who handled her business. And so there's this image. uh, uh, So Ephesus had strong women, powerful women. I really believe that that's one reason why Paul had a labor there so long. Uh, Not only Paul labored there, but Timothy was uh, appointed as bishop over the churches at Ephesus and also Uh, Some of the greatest teachers in the scripture, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, was sent to Ephesus because this was a very important place, sort of like Cambridge. The world was coming to Ephesus. Then you have Pergamos, which was, though it was not as great uh, um, uh, financially as Ephesus, it was the greatest city culturally. So in other words, uh, that city would set the pace when it came to culture, including pop culture. Are you with me so far? Uh, 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 you know, you, you would go to Pergamos to find out what the style was. Everybody with me so far? It, and, and so I could say a lot more. But what was interesting is that Paul, Paul, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, yeah, John the Apostle, who was on the the island of Patmos, he he is exiled and he has this vision about these seven churches, and he and so he talks to these churches, one located in Ephesus and one located in Pergamos, and he says these words. He he says to them, um, to Ephesus, he says the thing. I admire about you is um, is that you have um, you have fought against the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. 
But on the other hand, with Pergamus, he condemns them because they did not fight the doctrine of the Nicolotians. So, what are we talking about, the Nicolotians? Who are these people? Do you realize, <laughs> this is heavy, that the word Nike is derived from this word? Ooh. The word Nike. Some of you think that the word Nike is just some made-up word. The word Nike actually is a word. Anybody know what Nike means? Yeah. Victory. Conqueror. You think, <laughs> you see, just do it. Just conquer. Just win. Anybody with me so far? And, and, and so the Nickelodeons, it, it means victory. It means uh, win. But it literally means destruction of the people. Destruction of the people. In other words, the writer, John the Apostle, he's the last living apostle. All twelve, all, well, all the other 11 are, uh, have been dead and martyred. He's the only apostle who died of natural birth. So all of the, all of the guys who were chosen by Jesus were killed. Amen. So when Jesus comes and says, I choose you, don't be, <laughs> don't be so happy. <laughs> I mean, be thrilled that he chose you, but understand that it, that, that it may cost you your life. It may cost you your dream. It may cost you your desire. So you have this doctrine seeping in the church that is destroying people. And what's interesting is that he says the Nicolotians, whose name means destruction of, of the people, their, their, their curse, the thing that they did was that they brought in, now these are a people, and they brought into the church the teaching of Balaam and Jezebel. Are you tracking with me so far? You want to get this CD because it will really help you. Interestingly enough, Balaam, who's is a Hebrew name that also means destroyer of the people. But it not only means destroyer of the people, it means confuser of the people. Don't worry, I'm going to get to the good part. I want to make sure you understand what we're, where we're heading. So there's this doctrine that comes in, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that wants to destroy people or confuse people. And it comes in the church. And this doctrine, destroy the people, John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal. He doesn't just want to steal from you. To kill, he doesn't want to kill you and destroy. Now, you may say, what's the difference between kill and destroy? Well, it's not just I want to take your life. But after I kill you, I want to destroy whatever anybody even remembers about you. See, so, so it's one thing for me to just, no, to just kill you. But Satan wants to destroy you to the point that when everybody's, when everybody even mentions the name Quincy, it's like, oh, yeah, dog. I, you, 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 your name becomes a cautionary tale. That's the devil. And he's done that to a number of preachers. If I, if I mention certain preachers, you'd be like, oh, yeah, man, wow. That's what the devil wants to do. He also wants to confuse. First Corinthians chapter 14, 33. I hope you're taking some of these scriptures down to get the CD. He says, um, God is not the author of confusion, but he is the author of peace. And you need to understand that word peace is not simply the absence of 
confusion or tranquility of heart, but it's the, it, it, the mindset. Remember who's saying God is not the, God is the author of peace. Who's saying this? Who's saying this? Who's saying this? Paul, Paul, what, what, who is Paul? Meaning what nationality is Paul? He's Jewish. So when he says peace, he's saying God is the author of shalom. And the word shalom doesn't simply mean, no, the absence of war. It means success and prosperity. And that's why when I bless you at the end of service, I'm not blessing you to just, you know, not have your boss aggravate you. So you just make it through the week without punching somebody in the mouth. Praise the Lord. No, we're talking about that, that God, that I'm blessing you with not only the peace of God, meaning that you know, the absence of agitation, but also the success, the prosperity of God. So God wants us to be prosperous and successful. And when I, and please, your connotation of prosperity is always money, and that's wrong. You can look at somebody who has a successful marriage and lives in a barn and you can look at somebody whose marriage is jacked up and they live in, you know, in a mansion. Who would you rather be? You know? And, and, and you say, well, I'd rather have mixed or both, but you can't do that. You can't do that. Can't do that. Although you can have both. Under shalom. You can't have both. There's a saying by Stephen Covey that really blessed me. Um, and he says these words. He says, uh, too many people are f- climbing up. This is deep now. Too many people are climbing up the ladder of success only to find out that that ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. That's, a, that's, that's deep. That's deep. That's deep. I'm going to say that again. Too many people are climbing up the ladder of success and when they get to the top, they found out that it, that ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. I want to make sure that you put the ladder on the right wall before you start climbing. That's a good word right there. That wasn't even in my notes. So let me kind of wrap this up because this is really when it really gets deep. The sin of this doctrine of the Nicolotians or Balaam is is deep, frightening. In the book of Numbers around around, uh, chapter 19, around there, this guy named Barak wants to curse Israel as they're coming out of Egypt and heading to the promised land. So he hires his prophet, named Balaam, hires him to, to curse them. And, and Balaam says, hey, I cannot curse. I'm, he's like, I'm a true prophet, but I'm not a true prophet. In other words, I'm going to speak what God tells me to speak, but my heart is not true to God. Meaning that, and, and so there's an admiration where he says to Barak, um, um, yeah, pay me money for prophes- prof- pay me money for prophesying, but I'm not. I can't prophesy that which the Lord did not tell me to prophesy. I know that's a weird thing, but but anyways, it it seemed to work for him financially. So so Barak's like, okay, he hires him, hires him, and like three times he's trying to he's trying to curse Israel, and he ends up blessing them. And like, you need to read the story because it's so humorous because Barak is like, well, maybe if I put you over here, now prophesy. And he prophesies blessings. And he says, well, maybe if I put you over here. And finally, Barak just cusses him out. I mean, that doesn't show the swears in the Bible. But he cusses him out. Basically, I gave you all this money and, and you and you bless these people. And he says, look, I, I have to bless. And this is my favorite scripture. God is not a man that he should lie. You'll find it even, he's not even the son of man that he should change his mind. If he said it, he'll do it. If he speaks it, he'll make it good. Uh, I think it's number 17 and verse 14 around there, something like that. But here's the point. 
So Barak, Balaam says like, no, I, I still want the money, but I can't prophesy curses on Israel. But I can, watch this, I can counsel Barak on how to get these folks jacked up and cursed. You mean you can't prophesy? No, I can only say what God tells me to say, but I know a way that you can get them to get cursed. Well, tell me, this is what you do. And this is this is what I'm talking about. This, this, here we go. Bring some of your finest looking women and bring some of your best looking, gorgeous hunk of men and just kind of, you know, just kind of dangle them in front of the Israelite men and get the men to stop marrying these heathen women. And when they do that, oh, this is bad. Can I borrow you, Jeffrey? This is this is bad. See, see, this is your problem. Turn around here. Right now, these people are under a covenant of blessing. Where's that covenant? Uh, 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 Genesis chapter twelve, where he says to Abraham, "I'm gonna bless them that bless you." I'm going to curse them. Everywhere you go, you're going to be blessed. So he's walking under a covenant of blessing as long as he does what God says. So what you do is you get them to start intermarrying with, with women and men outside of the covenant who don't love God. Are you following me? And then what's going to happen is that those women and men, they're going to take him from under the protection of God, and now God will jack them up. Thank you, sir. And that's what they did. So what do you, what, what's the point here? God was angry. From that point on, when you read the, the name of Balaam in the book of Hebrews and also in the book of uh, Revelation, God is furious with Balaam, because he counseled the heathen how to put bad doctrine among his people to get them jacked up. Are you with me? And so, um, let me, let me, uh, Quincy, let me borrow you again. And, uh, and, uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. Can I borrow you for a moment? Yes. 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 Uh, no, actually, no, no, no. Let me do this. Let me do this. Uh, can I borrow you? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Quincy, why don't you, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but we'll see. Yeah, stand right there. Stand right there. Now, what I want you to do is I want to, no, you can turn here. I want you to take this young lady and lift her up. Okay, very good. Now, now I want you to stand right here. Just stand. No, 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 no. <clears throat> stand a little, little to the edge, to the edge, to the edge. Yeah, yeah. Yep, both feet to the edge. Okay, good, 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 good. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to grab his hand. Grab, grab it real tight. Okay, okay, and... Okay, get back on there again. Okay. Okay. One more time. Okay, get back up there. <clears throat> okay, now, try not to. Okay, okay. Ooh, okay, th yes. Thank you, sir. You got one for me? Oh, that's, that's too much. We got it. Well, we got, we got, well, I got to give you some money when you get, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Now, now, notice. Give her a hand. Give her a hand. Two. Yeah, because you, she, you are really good. Yeah. Okay. Now, notice. How much you weigh, sir? You know how much you weigh around? 
165. I don't think she's 165. In fact, I don't, oh, she probably ain't even 90. <laughs> she pulled this big old hunking man down and he tried to keep her up. And my point is this, is that so often what happens, we, we entangle ourselves with people who are not believers Okay, because see, I'm on a higher plane and I, I'm, I'm dating this unsaved man or unsaved girl and I'm trying to lift them up to my level and you're going against the gravitational pole of sin. So you're trying to lift them up and what's end up happening is that they will always usually pull you down. As small as she is, she was able to pull him down. So my point is that some of you, oh, I'm strong in the Lord. No, you're not strong in the Lord to disobey the word. You will be pulled down. And that's why God said, don't mess with the unbelievers. Because they're going to pull you down. They pulled down the wisest man who ever lived. Read First Kings chapter eleven, where, a, where where Solomon started messing around with the Queen of Sheba and all these women, and the Bible says God was furious with him because He said, "When you mess with these people, this is the point. When you mess with these people, they will pull you to start serving their God." Well, 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 well. Um. I don't think that will happen to me. Oh, yes. You know, you know, when we were growing up, they used to have a thing called called backsliding. Now, they don't use that term anymore. I know that some people who, know, who, who were raised in church. They're like, you're a backslider. Now, I know most of you, like, if you weren't raised in church, you're like, what the, what, what is a backslider? You know, how, what am I, would you go down a slide backwards? I mean, what's a backslider? See, this is a, this is a, this is a backslider. Backslider, someone, they love the Lord. Higher, higher, higher. And see, because now they're mixed up with, you no, know, with, with, with homeboy or homegirl, you know, after about a month, it's now higher, higher, higher. And after about three months, it's, it's higher, higher. Wait, you were standing up there. Higher, higher. And then after about six months. Now after six months, it's higher. Ooh, I hear you. Oh, oh. See, see, and, 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 and now it's, shoot, I'll sit wherever I want to sit. And, and, and pretty, pretty soon there, there, see, see, and it, and see, this is the point. It's not called back, it's not called back leaping. All of a sudden, you find yourself like the prodigal son among the pigs eating the devil's crap. Part of my expression, but with being for real. And you're wondering, how did I get myself in this mess? A year later. That's how it works. Am I, am I telling you the truth? So here is, well, this is the deep part of what I want to say. Is there any Sunday school students I need to release right now? Okay, good. So I was like, keep preaching, boy. <laughs> the Balaam basically threw attractive images of sexual immorality in the face of Israel. And that drew them from God 
and eventually drew them into serving idols. Are you following me? The sexual attraction drew them into doing things outside of the confines of marriage and then creating idols. Are you with me so far? Jezebel, same thing. She led Israel to serving idols, but it started with sexual sins, which is simply sins outside of the scriptures. Are you with me so far? Now, this is going to get really deep, and that's why I really feel like this is going to have to be a conversation throughout the year. Okay, so this isn't this isn't going to be the one-stop hit all, but I really want to pray for you after. God destroys what what is happening here is that idolatry is basically serving a graven image. That's all, that's what idolatry is. You there's an image that's created that you decide to worship, and that image is anything that is not like God. Are you following me so far? Everybody with me? Yeah. So, uh, my wife says, with me. everybody with me? Okay, good. Okay. So, watch this. This is, this, is, this is heavy now. So, when we serve an image, it becomes idolatry. Are you with me so far? And so God, the world is so corrupt that he sends a flood to wipe it out. And the reason why he wipes it out is because in reading Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the King James Version says, the imagination of the hearts of men was always on evil. I had to destroy the earth because the imagination, the imagination, the image was always on evil. So I had to destroy them. The image. The image. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 18. Paul says, uh, actually Romans chapter 1 verse 23, he says, God is so angry because man took the glorious image of God, Romans chapter 1, verse 23, and turned it into the image of man. They took the image of God, are you with me? And they turned it to the image of man. That is the sin of Balaam and the sin of the Nickelodeons. In other words, Nickelodeons. Not Nickelodeons, yeah. Nickelodeons. <laughs> yeah. And that is to take the image of God and turn it into the image of man. This is, this is deep now. God said in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let us make man or mankind in my image. Instead, the sin is we made God into our image. This is deep now. Think about this. Make man to look like us, to behave like us. Instead, idolatry is to make God in our image. This is going to get heavy now, and then we'll pray. I'll drop you off. The image of God is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Be holy just like I'm holy. The word holy is just a simple word that simply means you be different. Now, think about when he says this, this is heavy now. When he says this, where are they going? They're coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land. They're going into a promised land. 
where there are people who aren't holy. If you could read in history some of the detestable things these folks did, and God is saying, basically, you're going into a place that I expect you to be different and not act like the people who I'm kicking out. I'm, tr- I'm trying to make heaven on earth, and I need a holy people to make the place holy. And there's no sense in me kicking them out if you're going to act the same way they acted. No sense in me giving you this building if after I give you this building, you act just like the heathen who I removed. So could it be the reason why God hasn't released some things to you yet is because you haven't decided to live different than the world. It ain't about haircuts and who wears dresses and who wears jeans. It's in your heart, in your life, are you living differently than the people around you? And so there's this image that when we, when we stop making God in our image, bad things happen. Bad things happen. And the Bible says we become vain in our imagination. Vain in our imagination, meaning that we think thoughts that are empty and foolish. And so that's why, now this is, this is it, this is it. So that's why now, because we have created God in our image, the Lord said God created man in his image. Listen to this, listen to this point. This, if, if you don't, if you don't hear anything, listen to this point. He, he's created man in his image, male and female. So God says, I'm going to show you how male should be, and I'll show you how female should be. And what happens is that because we stop making God in our image, we start having gender confusion. And I'm not talking about gender confusion, meaning lesbianism, homosexuality, gay, you know, uh, bisexual, transgender, transsexual. I'm talking about also uh, uh, men thinking that, oh, the image is that I should be a macho man. The image should be how many women can I notch on my belt? The image of a woman, how sexy can I dress? How many, no, how much, uh, can I show more cleavage than Cleveland? (laughs) How high should my dress be? So we see these images. And so what happens now is you have certain women of power, okay, and I'll name him like Beyonce or like Serena Williams, who basically says, I control who I want to control. So I'll dress the way I want to dress because that's a sign of power, a woman being able to choose what she wants to do. But you're not choosing what you want to do. Neither is a man choosing. You are f- following an image because the re- <laughs> there's a reason it. You know what this is called in the Bible? Anybody know what this is called? My final point. What is it called, huh? Someone said it, what? The scriptures. The scriptures, right? The scriptures, right? What word do you see in the word scripture? Script. Script, meaning that if you're in, if you're an actor, you've been given a script. This is the way you're supposed to act in this drama. This is the way a man is supposed to act. This is the way a female is supposed to act. And I don't want you starting to mix it. So sadly, you have females starting to act more like guys, dudes. And you have men starting to become effeminate. It's quiet in here. It is quiet in here. 
It is quiet in here. You say, well, Bishop, what is, no, are you, 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 you're so old fashioned. No, I'm just looking at the script. Well, well, how, how is a guy supposed to look? Ask God. You'll be surprised how God will say, I don't want you to wear that. You'll be surprised when you come out with a dress up to here and tight and cleavage down to here. Well, what do you think? Ask God what he thinks. I can guarantee you God will say, really? Hey, God, you know, this is my girlfriend. Um, We're not married, but should we have sex? What do you think God's going to say? And sadly, there's this gender confusion because, sadly, dads who represent God, I didn't say they were God, they represent God because they're fathers. They have confused the image of God, and therefore now you have sons and daughters who have daddy issues. That's why we have to get back to the scriptures. That's why we need to be brainwashed from our sinful imaginations. Brainwashed, yeah, the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in, I think it's uh, Hebrews, it's Hebrews 9 verse 14, that the blood can cleanse our conscience from dead works. Why? So that we can serve the living God. You need your mind cleansed. No, I take that back. I need my mind cleansed. I need my mind cleansed. And so I want you to stand at this time. I've already spoken way too long, but. But I believe the Holy Spirit. And you can just put your hand on the person next to you, because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to sweep through our church and make some behavioral corrections in the house of God. I believe, Lord, the God is going to start raising it. And again, this ain't about, you know, whether you, you know, that brought you for your, whether you wear braids or whether you wear pants or whatever. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what is the image of God when it comes to being a man of God? What is the image of God when it comes to being a woman of God? So that this doctrine doesn't come into the church and stop mixing up things when now the church is basically saying now, well, I think gay marriage and you know, same-sex marriage is okay. Well, again... It's doctrine. There are some people now who believe, well, God understands. He He certainly doesn't expect me to be um, uh, uh, celibate. He certainly, he, of course, he understands my weakness and he understands that every once in a while I need to have premarital sex. No, he doesn't understand that. But see, when you start creating a God in your image, you create a God that says, I'm okay, you're okay. And we backslide to the point, listen, that we're no different than the people around us. Christians have premarital sex, the world does. Christians swear. Oh yeah, I've heard words come out of Christians' mouth. Really? The, the world swears. Christians lose their temper and beat up people, the world. So what's the difference? Really, what's, what's the difference between us and the people? And yet Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that Jesus is the image of who God is. So I want you to pray for the person next to you, and then we'll just...
close up, we're going to have more conversations about this. Gender confusion and the image that the world has created. The doctrine of Balaam, the culture, the Pergamus culture getting in the church. So now we're questioning the very, we're, we're questioning the script. We are actors have basically told a director, we want to change some of these lines in the script. You do that in real life, you're fired. Oh, Father, let's pray just briefly for the person next to us. Lord, that's why we're fighting so hard to be men and women of God. The world needs to see what Jesus looks like. Oh, God. Now we understand what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that the goal of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Jesus. We've allowed the world, we have allowed confused Christians to define for us what Jesus should look like. We've allowed the doctrine of Balaam to get in the church. We have, we have moved so far away from the Holy Scriptures. There's a way for a father to act in his house. There's a way for a mother to fulfill her role in the house. There's a way for a husband and a wife to fulfill their roles. There's a way that a man of God, a man who belongs to God, should behave. A woman who belongs to God should behave. We are to be holy. We are to be different so that when the world sees the image of God acting out live and in color through the children of God, they can say, ah, oh, that's what a man of God should be. Ah, oh, that's what a woman. So there's no confusion right now. There is complete confusion in the world because you can't find people who will live after the image of God instead of people taking the image of God and making it after their own image. This world has created a God where there's no sin, where there's no judgment, where there's no consequences, where there's, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay to do, where, where God doesn't get offended. The devil is a liar, and that's why there's so much confusion. Fathers sleeping with their daughters. Stuff going on in the house. Why? Because of confusion. Spirit of God, and sadly to say, we're living in a generation of young people who are hurting because they don't understand who am I? Am I a guy? Am I a girl? Should I be attracted to both sexes? Should I sleep with women to prove to guys that I'm a man? Oh, God. Oh, God. The church has got to raise up men and women of God who will be different to say, this is the way. Walk in it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Yes, we need role models. Yes, people who will play their role as men and women of God. Somebody needs to follow the script, Lord. And help the people in this room say, God, I'm going to choose to follow the script. My friends, people within my circle of influence, they need to know that your script is sure. Your script is sure. That's why you call it the scriptures. Because it's a sure script. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Come on, no, 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 no. 
those of you who it is your practice to pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in tongues, just for the just for two minutes, 120 seconds. I want you to pray in tongues right now. I want you to pray in the spirit. Those of you who that's not your practice and just pray in English, say, God, we need you to do something. We need you to do something. We need you to do something. Because, Lord, if you don't stop moving, if you don't stop moving, I don't know where the church is going to end up. We're in churches now where an emotional experience is now being confused with a real actual move of the Holy Spirit. We can't even tell the difference anymore. People say God has moved simply because the music was a certain way. Because we don't even know Holy Spirit. But we're making a decision on this Valentine's Day to love you with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strength. And we choose to be examples. We choose to be examples. Mm. I tell you, the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. Oh, Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good song, Terry. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Mm. Mm. I, I want to do this quickly, and I, I, I shouldn't do this. Well, I, I don't know. I'm just, because I'm under a time constraint, but. And, and I don't want anybody to feel under any pressure. So please, this is not what this is all about. Um, but I know this word has hit me in a way that it's hit me in a weird way in a sense that there's something inside of me that's saying, God, I want to prove that your way is the right way. God, I want you to be able to depend upon me to to show what a man of God ought to be. Now, um, come here, Rachel. Now, Rachel's a she's an attractive young lady, and 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 I really believe that God has been raising me up to be a father in the Lord since I was a teenager. He he opened my eyes. I never saw this, and so. Um, and so I'm saying, God, I, I want to be a father to, to, to daughters beyond my daughters. And I know that there are daughters whose fathers have violated them. Come on, we're not. We're, 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 this, is, this is the real world. And, and they have lost all hope in what an image of a dad is. And so that's why for me, when I see people like Rachel, and I'm not saying her dad did this, I'm just simply saying that, um, uh, I want to be an image of a dad. And so many times I'm always, you know, I'll see my daughter and I'll give them hugs. And I want them to know that, thank you very much, that, that a, a, a man of God can hug you and not do anything crazy. And not you having to wonder is, does he want something beyond just giving me love? Because many women then carry that into their marriage. Do you love me for me or do you love me for... Are you following me? And so when I see the evilness in the world and I hear the images that are coming from television, 
when the Lord put this word in my heart, it's made me more determined to be a man of God, to be, to be a brother, a real brother to a brother, to be, to be a good son, to be, to be the image of who Brian needs to be in this world for Jesus. And I believe there's some of you that, that have been stirred that you say, you know, God, I, I'm going to, you know, okay, maybe I lost my virginity prior to this sermon, but Lord, I'm determined to show that your way is the right way. You know, okay, whatever mistakes you made in the past, it's, it's the past, but God, I'm going to show those in my sphere of influence what a man of God is, what a woman of God is, what a, what a Christian employee is, I'm, what, what a godly husband is. What a, I'm going to show the world that your script is right. And I want people around me to say, I want what you have. Instead of them looking at the media and saying, I want that. If that stirred your heart, I just want you to come up to this altar. It's not going to be long. It, the, 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 the point of this is more coming to the altar and saying, God, okay, you got me now. You got me now and and work on me so I can be the best man of God I can be because I want to prove to this world. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that you can prove that the will of God is good, acceptable and perfect. I got something to prove that God is real. And the more I'm talking, the more I'm getting angry at the deceit and the confusion that the devil has created in people's lives to mess them up. Amen. If you if you're hearing that call, and again, this is not don't don't feel compelled. I just want you to come up, and we're just going to pray a final prayer, and then we'll uh, t- you know move on with the service. But this there is something that again, you know, your past is your past, and but, but from this moment on, um, you, you're saying, God, I I'm going for this thing. I'm going for this thing. I'm going for this thing. And, and, and this is just your walk to say, God, here I am. You, uh, I'm enlisting. I'm enlisting. Whatever age I'm at, whatever stage in life I'm at, I am, I'm gonna be like the, like the, th- like the three Hebrew boys. You can put me into the, into the, uh, Babylonian government culture and, and I'm gonna show up. You can, you can take me like, jo- like Joseph and put me in Pharaoh's court. I'm going to show up. You can be, you can take me like Daniel. You can take me like Esther and put me in places of influence. And I'm going to show people what a man or woman of God, if you would help me, if you would help me, I can't do it on my own. I've already, shoot, that argument has already been settled. I cannot do that on my own. I can't do it on my own. But if you would help me, I will walk according to the script and my light will shine so that men and women will see my God works and they'll give the glory to you. They'll give the glory to you. They'll give the glory. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each and every individual who's come up to this altar. And Lord, we know that the sermon was long, but we also realize that this is such a serious monumental shift in this church, Lord. You, Lord Jesus, just like uh, you said to the church of Pergamos, I don't want you taking our lampstand, Lord. I don't want you taking in our place of influence you have raised pentecostal tabernacle to be a place of influence in this city we shouldn't for the size church we have we shouldn't have the amount of influence that we have in this city but it's because you need somebody lord i'm not saying we're the only church we certainly were not but you but we are one of the churches that you are raising up in this city in this state and in this nation where the, where people can see what the image of god really looks like Holy Spirit. And the more people see the truth, the more they realize that they're walking in a lie. We don't serve a God who abuses and loses and, and, and uses people. We don't, we, we don't serve a God who is overbearing with his children. We serve a God who creates good fathers and good mothers. Not perfect. We're all striving, Lord. 
but we're striving as the song's being played, holiness. We want to be different, Lord. And Lord, help us to understand that people are watching us. They're watching us because the beauty of them watching us is because they see something in us as imperfect as we may be. They see something different. They said, I want that. And soon they're going to say, I want to go where you've been. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you in Jesus' name that you will do something supernaturally in every individual who is at this altar and those who are in the, even in the pews, Lord, that as cold as it is, they came out, Lord, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that this season of Jubilee, the stuff that has been holding us hostage and in bondage will be broken off in this season, Lord. In this season of Jubilee that will be set free to be the man of God, the woman of God, the mother, the dad, the wife, the husband, the employer, the employee, whatever we need to be for you, Lord. This is the season that we will be well on our way, well on our way, well on our way. And Lord, this is a season that I believe that many of us will be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, God, there's so much power and so much influence and so many real good people at this altar. Change their image of themselves. Change their image of themselves. Yes, we make mistakes, but, Lord, this is a new season. This is a new season. And so, Lord, I bless these individuals to start seeing quantitative change. And that there will no longer be death in the nick of time. Death because of the Nicolotian's teachings. We're going to put an end to that. And we're going to see the glory of the Lord be revealed. In Jesus' name.